to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to read, I read intentionally from Matthew's gospel, the Christmas story, but I'd like to read a portion of the of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. So if you'd like to turn there, and I hope you would, I want you to turn to Luke t- chapter 2, and just bear with me because there's, there are 16 verses, but I just want to read it. I mean, it's Christmas, y'all, right? And uh, we're moving fast today, so we're probably going to get you out early. But here's what it says. Luke writes, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while... Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Let's talk about that story this morning. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Luke tells us that a very strange and yet wonderful event occurred on the Judean hills nearby. Shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. These shepherds, history tells us, were most likely shepherds who kept the sheep that were used for sacrifices in the temple. And so they're doing a job that has significance and meaning. And it's the nighttime, it's dark, it's quiet. Uh, This is normal routine for them. It's usually... There's not a whole lot that disturbs that, that idyllic setting when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. He's standing on the ground in front of them. Uh, there, there was probably a brightness to this angel, uh, something that signified the supernatural, and of course it got their attention. And also the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. So I want you to imagine this dark hillside and suddenly it's lit up like noonday 
by the glory of the Lord. Everything is illuminated, and there's this angel standing in front of them, uh, speaking to them. And what I want to do is talk about his message because the message that the angel gave the shepherds is a powerful message. It's a tremendous message, and it's a message not just to the shepherds, but to us. And so we need to give attention to it. And so simply, I want to preach what the angel had to say. The first thing he said was this, I'm bringing you something. I'm bringing you something. I'm giving you something, and it's good news. Now, if you know anything about that time period, you would understand that there was a lot of bad news in that day. And let me just show you what I mean. The first thing that comes to mind is that the word of God had been silent for 400 years. In your Bible, you will notice that there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and the New Testament begins with the gospel of Matthew. What you may not know is that the period between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew is called the intertestamental period. And that period lasted 400 years. So imagine this. God gives the word to Malachi, a prophetic word. But then after that, it's done. There is no more prophetic word. God is not speaking to prophets and through prophets. No one is receiving revelation that gets written down and placed into the Bible and becoming part of the Bible. For 400 years, God is saying nothing. And what does that mean? That means that consequently, men and women lived in spiritual darkness. If you don't, have, you know, the Bible says that the Bible is light. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. And so when God's word is spoken or read or preached or taught, it gives illumination, spiritual illumination. It gives light. It shines in the darkness. It reveals the, the terror of sin and the hopelessness of sin, and yet it gives and shines the hope of salvation. There's none of that. And so people are walking in spiritual darkness. That's bad news. Now, another thing that was occurring is that the people were God of God were under the oppressive rule of the Romans. It's crazy. They, they went into exile to Babylon, you know, like the story about Daniel and Ezekiel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they, they were there 70 years, and they came out, and they came back to Jerusalem, and they had some freedom for a while. But then the Romans came, and the Romans conquered them. So they were an exiled people in their own country. That's bad news. Third, the nation of Israel was fractured, which led to a lot of friction. You had four groups of people in Israel. You had the Pharisees, who were more conservative politically and spiritually, but they were too conservative. They were legalist. I mean, man, they made life rough for you. You had a bunch of rules and regulations to keep, and it was overwhelming. Then you had the Sadducees, and they were liberal, and they were loose, and they were loosely affiliated with Rome, and, and, uh, and, and so they really didn't push and promote living right and serving God. Then you had this group called the Essenes. You don't even read about this in the Bible, but they were this real strict religious group. They, they just isolated themselves and went out in the desert and, and lived out there trying to get away from everybody. And then you had this group called the Zealots. 
As a matter of fact, one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot, Simon the Zealot, and they were anti-Rome. They were re- they were rebels, okay? The new Star Wars movie came out, right? And so in the, if you don't know anything about Star Wars, you've got the empire, the evil empire with, with the emperor, right, and Darth Vader, but then you got the rebel force, Luke Skywalker. Does anybody not know what I'm talking about? You need to, you need to go to the movies, Okay, and so that's kind of the same thing as Rome was the empire, and, 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 and they had Darth Vader, but they were trying to find a Luke Skywalker, and so there was these zealots, and they would rebel against Rome and rise up in rebellion. So here's what you've got. You've got four groups in Israel fighting, trying to dominate Israel and be in domination over the other ones, and this is creating an incredible amount of tension and riots and rebellions and uprising. It's just it's bad news. Now, there's one more thing. The current religion of that time was Judaism, okay, the Jewish religion. And the problem was it was doing absolutely nothing to deal with man's sins problem. Okay, you would go to the temple, you would offer your sacrifices, you would go to the synagogue, and they would read the law, and you went in a sinner, but you came out a sinner. There was nothing happening there that was changing your life. There, was, there were rules and regulations and formalities and rituals, and you'd go through all that hoping that it would change you and change your relationship with God, but it wasn't happening. There was no permanent solution to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Now, that was what was happening when the angel showed up. And when I thought about that, I thought about our time. And I think you and I know There is a lot of bad news today. And I could sit here and give a litany of all the bad things, and then we'd all leave here depressed. So let's don't do that. Let me just correlate with what what was happening then. Let me just correlate it with today and watch how 21 centuries later it's still so similar. Did you know that in America, more Americans than ever before are biblically illiterate? A few years ago, I had a situation happen that changed the entire way I preach. For years, I would preach and I would say, now you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And then I would preach and I'd say, now you know the story about Jesus when he was on the Sea of Galilee. And I would say that. And one Sunday after church, a woman came up to me and said, Pastor, I know you sometimes say you know the story and then you don't really talk about it. She said, I don't know the stories. I don't know the stories. I didn't go to church. I don't know the stories of the Bible. And I found out that more and more people were like that. And I stopped saying that. I started telling the stories. I had a man at Praise Cathedral who got saved, who grew up, if I remember, a good Catholic, but he did not know the stories of the Bible. And Daryl Croft and I shared a, a, a room. We both had our desk in there, but we shared this office. And this man would come by, and he would sit down. And for 30 minutes, Daryl and I... I would go back and forth and tell him the stories of the Bible like we were in Sunday school. And this man would stand there and sit there in awe and say, I've never heard that story. I'd tell him about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery first. And he'd say, I've never heard that story before. This is awesome. And I'm going to tell you, more people today than ever don't know the Bible. They can't quote the Bible. They don't know the Bible. When you make reference to the Bible, they don't understand the Bible. Some, now we, there's one prominent pastor that says that we just need to stop referring to the Bible. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. Uh, if you have a dark room, you don't put the flashlight away. If you've got a dark room, you pull the flashlight out and you say, well, you may not know the Bible, but let me help you out. Because we've had 400, my God, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost about now. I'm feeling Pentecostal now. Y'all better wake up. 
because we've had 400 years of, of silence, but it's time somebody says, thus says the Lord. That's why I preach the way I do. I know sometimes I've, I've, we probably have a lot more people in this church if I didn't preach the way I preach. If I'd give you something to tickle you ear, your ears and make you feel good and send you home, then we'd probably have a church full of people. But I run them off because I preach the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord can make you uncomfortable. And the word of the Lord will get in your mess. But if you'll let God work, it'll clean up your mess and it'll make you comfortable because it'll change your life. We need pastors who preach the word. And so our nation's in trouble. We're, we're a nation of people walking in spiritual darkness. You know that. You work with them. And then humanism and secularism are prevailing in our nation. You know we're post-Christian, right? We're not a Christian nation. Christian nations don't kill 60-something million, maybe we're pushing 70 million babies. Christian nations don't do that. So don't live in a bubble anymore. We're not a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. Let me tell you something that will shock you. Around this world, there are people who are being born again, and they are in other countries sending missionaries to America to try to win us to Christ. That's not a lie. That's the truth. We better get to work. Humanism and secularism are killing and pushing out the influence of the Christian faith. So what is that doing? That's creating a moral crisis in this land. People don't know what's right and wrong anymore. I'm amazed that a lot of times it's all ages. It's not just young adults. It's all ages. I'll come in here and I'll preach, and I'll just preach what's right and wrong according to the Bible. And I'll have, I'll have some people come up to me saying, I, I, I didn't know that. I'm living in sin. I'm, I want to serve the Lord, but I, I didn't know that. And I said, well, now you know it. What are you going to do with it? I had one man that was living in adultery uh, or, or in fornication, rather, and he, he, uh, he heard the word. And got all, it made him mad, made him out of shape. I don't care. I'm just the messenger. What made him mad is because his life doesn't line up with the standard and the will and the nature and the person of God Almighty. And that's what sin does, and that's when the devil wins, and it'll drag your soul to hell. But if you listen to God and let God do something in your life, he radically transforms you, and you're, you then fulfill the purpose that you were created for, and then you're living. There is no moral crisis for you because you now know what's right and wrong. But our nation has no idea what is, you start talking about absolutes and there are people that get ticked off. Don't tell me what's, there aren't, there's no source of absolute truth. Yes, there is. His name is God. Do you think truth is just something that God picked out of a, out of a jar and said, we're going to make this righteous? No, God is truth. God is not a man that he should lie. That's why lying is wrong. Love, God is love. That's why hate is wrong. God is life. That's why murder is wrong. We don't have to arbitrarily come up with this or in our human minds figure out some rationale for morality and a standard, a moral compass. Y'all, we got a moral compass, and that's just God Almighty. Let God be true. Let what God says be the truth. It is absolute truth. I'm not even in my notes, but y'all better just hang on. We might be here a while. I need to move. Isn't it disturbing how politically divided we are in America? To all the young adults, let me just let you in on something that's going to shock you. It wasn't always this way. It used to be that the Democrats and Republicans actually got along. They really did. I know that's hard to you believe, for you to believe, but they had their differences, but those differences didn't create the kind of tension. It wasn't there. I've had people say that John F. Kennedy, who was a Democrat, would roll over in his grave if he came back today and saw what was happening in his party. Of course, there might be a few Republicans that might do the same thing with the Republican Party. The point is... 
We are, we are incredibly politically divided, and it's scary. It's dangerous. This us versus them mentality is fracturing our country, y'all. And, of course, it's creating friction. Just get on Twitter, and you'll see it right there. And then millions of America are living under the bondage of sin. It breaks my heart. I'm not making this up. This isn't preacherese. I'm telling you, it breaks my heart. When I go out in the public and I see people who are under the bondage of sin, and a lot of the times it breaks my heart because it's someone that you know. It's a family member. It's constant. It's a barrage on me as a pastor because we have millions of Americans who are addicted to alcoholism. Alcohol is a major issue in our nation, and we will not accept it. And we think, and they are, that the beer commercials are funny, and they are. But down beneath the humor are the broken homes and the broken lives and the broken marriages and the broken relationships and the broken health. I'm preaching. You don't have to amen me. I'm preaching now. Well, they're addicted to alcoholism. They're addicted to drug addictions. We have an opioid crisis in this nation. People who are addicted to painkillers. People who are addicted to pornography. People who are addicted to gambling. They are in bondage and the devil's laughing and having a heyday. And then finally, people vainly are attempting to fill the void in their souls through so many different means. I love the video. I know it was funny, but boy, you got the truth behind that funny video, didn't you? And it's, it's true. I'm going to preach it. You saw it on a video, but I'm going to preach it. People look for fulfillment and happiness through education or a career or through uh, recreation or recreational activities, or money, or possessions, and there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But when you make them an idol, and you try to find life satisfaction in them, I got news for you. You will repeatedly be dissatisfied. Why? Because the cravings always return. There is only one person that can satisfy. The old song says only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can cleanse your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. But see, it's all bad news. And America desperately needs some good news. And I came here today to tell you high praises. We've got it. We've got it. The church has it, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel literally means good news. Hallelujah. It's a message that can set the captive free. It's a message that can shine light in the darkness. It's a message that can give the saving knowledge to the ignorant. It's a message that can bring unity and peace in this land. And the angel's good news was not just for the shepherds. The Bible says in verse 10, it was for all people. I think you'd agree with me, those of you who are born again, that everyone needs to hear about Jesus. Everyone needs to hear about what he can do for them. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. I'm going to tell you this morning, this message is for everybody. It's for every man and woman. It's for every boy and girl. It's for the rich and the poor. It's for the young and the old. It's for the educated and the uneducated. It's for the religious and the irreligious. 
This message is for everybody. Let me just preach to the church for one minute. If you are saved today and you're born again because you heard and believed the gospel, that is absolutely wonderful. Hallelujah. You ought to be shouting and getting excited today and thanking Jesus for what he's done. However, you and I know that there are people in your life, people in your world, people in your circle, people that you know that desperately need to hear the gospel too. Our family members, our co-workers, our friends. And, and I teach growth track, the first growth growth track uh, every month. I love to do that uh, at nine o'clock and we have the growth track. And if you're new, you haven't signed up for growth track, please sign up for growth track. And I always begin with a message of the gospel because I don't assume that just because people come in that room that they know Jesus. And we've had people give their life to Jesus in growth track. And so I tell the gospel story in its simplicity. And I always try to say this. And so those of you who've been through growth track, you'll remember this. When a, when a believer tells an unbeliever about the good news of Jesus, it is like one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And I don't know about you, but I remember the day when I was hungry and I was spiritually depraved and I needed help but somebody gave me some bread the bread of life and told me about Jesus and if he did it for me I need to tell somebody else so we can do it for them come on somebody praise him in this house we need to tell people about Jesus when God opens up the door lead me Lord I'll follow anywhere you want me to go let your word speak to me Show me what I've never seen before so I can share it with other people. Lord, I want to be a witness. Day stars shine down on me. And let your light shine through me in this dark night. So that's what the angel said. But that's not all he said. Then he said, someone is born to you, shepherds. Now, when I read that, I've been preaching a very, very long time now. Caught my attention. And I said, now, wait a minute. That's not necessarily true. Now, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. Don't misunderstand me. If you take it in its literal sense, however, it's not quite the way it is. Jesus was not physically born to the shepherds. He was physically born to who? Yeah, Mary. Thank you for all three of you who cooperated. Thank you so very much. You want me to give you another chance? He was physically born to? There y'all are. So, obviously, the angel... And his words meant something else. So what did the angel mean? His words deeply imply that Jesus was God's gift to the shepherds. In that sense, he was born to the shepherds. And he was not just born to the shepherds, he was born to us. And so he was not just given to them, he's still God's gift to mankind. Isn't that good news? And that's why I'm going to go ahead and quote one of the most popular scriptures, maybe the most popular scripture in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved this world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to us as a gift from God. And then I go to Ephesians 2.8 and I read Paul's words. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So what do those two verses tell me? That Jesus was the gift and his salvation was the gift. God has given to humanity the greatest gifts we could ever receive. And then the angel said, go to Bethlehem and you'll find a Savior. Now, what did that mean? Well, again, they weren't really going to find a Savior. 
I mean, they were. Now, don't get me wrong. They were, but they weren't. When they went to Bethlehem, they just found a newborn baby. Not even an eight-month-old baby, a newborn baby. That little baby can't save anybody. Little babies, matter of fact, are totally dependent on their mother at that stage to nurture them and feed them and protect them. So was the angel wrong? Oh, no, because God's never wrong. The angel was speaking prophetically because the baby would grow up to become a man, a man with a mission, destined to be our redeemer, a man with a purpose. And so God sent his son to save you from your sins. God sent his son to deal with your sin issue once and for all. God sent his son to give you and provide a new and a living way to God. God sent his son to give you cleansing and transformation. God sent his son to give you purpose and direction. And I like this, God sent his son to kick sin and the devil off of the throne of your heart so that Jesus could walk in the door and sit down and says, now this belongs to me, this is my possession, this person is my child, this is my apple of my eye, and God and Jesus are reigning in your life. That's why the baby came. That's what the angel was trying to say. Listen, this is just a powerful verse and I ho- a statement, and I hope you get a hold of this. He was born to you so he could die for you and you could live for him. That's it. That's it. And I'm so glad. How about you? And then the angel had one more thing to say. He said, I'm going to give you a sign on how to find Jesus. A sign. Now, this Friday, I had a real heavy week this week. I'm talking about day and night. I mean, day and night. I think Monday night was the only night I didn't have something. Day and night. We were working. I mean, we just, it was one of those weeks. And, and so when Friday got here, I usually try to take Fridays off. I knew Friday morning I had to get up because I had things I had to do. I had errands to run, things to do. I had to get Leah's gift, you know. There's some things I had to do. So, so and I had some other things I needed. So, the kids were coming over the next day, so I had to go buy some groceries and stuff because and, I always cook breakfast. I, I don't know if any of you other guys do that, but we've had this little thing that's a star house on Christmas Day or if it snowed, I always cook breakfast for the kids. So they came over Saturday morning. I cooked a big breakfast, and, we, man, we ate like it was Waffle House. So, so I was out running this. Well, then my phone dings, and it's, it's Leah. And she says, I need you to run an errand since you're out. How many of you guys have your wife do that? And you hate it, don't you? Because we get in a flow. All the men know what I'm talking about, right? They're not going to admit it because you're sitting there by them. But in their mind, they're going to preach, Pastor. Preach. Preach. We hate it, y'all. Ladies, we hate it. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to let the cat out of the back. We hate it because we're in a flow. You notice we don't go in a store in 30 minutes. We go in the store, get what we want. We get out. All the men said Okay, unless it's Dick's or Academy or Harbor Freight or Lowe's, then we might look around a little while. Okay? Hypocrite, I know, I hear you right now. So I'm in the flow and my phone dings. I need you to I need you to do something. Okay, so so I had to call her. I said, babe, what do you need? She said, there's a store, a place of business, rather, I want you to go to because I got an item there that I've already paid for. Would you buy, since you're already, since you're out, 
could you go get that thing? I said, sure, baby, I will go get it. So I, I, I've been in Anderson now 21 years. I didn't know this place. And so she's giving me a landmark. I knew where that was, but I'd never seen this other place of business. I never had a reason to go in there. And so I put it in Google Maps. And so I wanted to make sure. And so I got to the right where the, the landmark was and then Google Maps because I couldn't find it, you see. And so Google Maps took me, but even Google Maps still didn't get it quite right. So you know what it did? I'm not kidding. I'm just putting this in the sermon because it happened Friday. I looked for their sign. It was situated among a number of businesses in kind of a little plaza here in Anderson. So there were a lot of businesses. And I thought, I, I can't, I just need to look. And sure enough, you know what I saw? I saw the sign for the name. And I said, got it. See, that's what signs do. They show you which way to go. And so I imagine there were a lot, a lot of babies in Bethlehem that night due to the number of people in town for the census. Okay, we don't know. There may have been thousands of people in little Bethlehem. So how are the shepherds going to find the Lord among all those people and all those babies? Well, the angel gave them a sign. You know what it is. Look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know it because I read it. Look for a baby wrapped in like a mummy. That's what that means. They swaddled him. They wrapped him all up. You ever notice that they do that with newborn babies in the hospital? They're still swaddling them today. I guess because if they let them loose, you ever seen a baby? It's just constant. They don't stop. And so they swaddle them up. But the, but the uniqueness of this sign is the baby would be lying in a feed trough. Now that's unusual. This would differentiate Jesus from all the other babies in town because only one would be in a manger. So why would God choose a dark cave as a nursery and a feeding trough as a crib? We have a, a nice nativity set. I bought one from Hallmark. I spent some money on it. And I knew I did, but I thought this would really be neat, something we can enjoy for many, 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 many years. And it's a nativity scene. And we set it up. I set it up every year. Got the thing together. It's so neat and so sanitized. But it wasn't sanitized. Now, I'm not a farm boy. My daddy wasn't a farmer. But I lived in Pennsylvania. And we grew up around the farms. And when mom and dad would go off to the general assembly or some special event, a lot of times I got stuck. You know, they let somebody else watch you. I'd, I'd get stuck with farmers. And yes, they do get up at the crack of dawn. And they get you up too. And so I have, I have been out slopping pigs. And I've pushed grain out of the silos. I've done all that. The only thing I've never done that's on my bucket list, I have never milked a cow. So if anybody has a milk cow, please invite me and show me how. I'd love to do that one. I want to pull and squeeze. That's what I've always heard. So I want to figure it out. So I've been around the farm. Now let me tell you something. Farms aren't sanitized. They got a smell to them. Anybody ever been around a farm? Huh? Anybody ever walked through a pasture? You got to watch your step when the chips are down. Cow chips, you'll get that in a minute. Just, it'll hit you. 
It stinks, y'all. I've been around the farm, been in a chicken coop. I can tell you how to put a chicken. I can give you barnyard humor, barnyard entertainment. We used to put chickens to sleep. I know how to put a chicken to sleep. No, I'll tell you later. <laughs> and then after you got it addled and laying there, then you put chicken feet on it and all the other chickens come over and start pecking it and it comes up. Ah! And it's, That's barnyard entertainment right there. I've done all of that. Got an earned master's degree, but I've done the barnyard stuff. It stinks. Chicken coops sting, don't they? Okay, think about a cave. I know we have these nice little wooden nativity scenes. It was most likely a cave with some hay in it. It's where the animals were kept, and it stunk. And it was not clean. It was not a postnatal room in a hospital. It was unsanitized. So I ask you, couldn't have God, could not have God predestined a more comfortable accommodation for Jesus? Sure he could. So why did he choose a stable and a manger? The only answer I can find is because they served as a sign so the shepherds could find Jesus. If they had been in the inn, how would they have found him if there were other babies in the rooms? No, the Lord made it easy to find Jesus. And isn't there so much truth in that statement? You don't have to work hard. You don't have to be religious and go through rituals. He's made it easy to find Jesus. So searching the streets of Bethlehem, they found him because they looked not for rooms or houses, but they looked for stables and caves, and they found him. And he was just as the angel said he would be. And their encounter with him had a profound effect on every one of them. Let me just show you. They believed what they saw and heard, and I am convinced they placed their faith in him. Second, they told everyone they encountered about Jesus. Third, their witness was so great that it stirred up the entire town. And finally, they left and they praised and worshiped God for the privilege to know the Savior. That's a nutshell of what we read. Now I'm closing with this. Eventually, the babe of Bethlehem became the lamb on the cross. Our depictions of the crucifixion are inadequate to paint the proper scene of Jesus' death. I've tried before in messages, and it's still inadequate. It was gory. It was bloody. It was inhumane. It was an ignoble death. It was repulsive. If we could go back in a time machine 2,000 years and stand at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to be graphic intentionally. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to be graphic for just a moment. We would probably be nauseated and throwing up and turning our faces but because we couldn't take it. My, the only people that might handle it were, might be our EMTs and our medical people because they are more exposed to things of that nature. But for the rest of us, we would, we would run. He was so, he was butchered beyond recognition. It was a horrible death. Crucif eventually they got rid of crucifixion because it was just uh, absolutely, Carth Carthaginians uh, created it. And then the Romans adopted it. And it was a horrible, horrible death. So why that? 
Why that? Why not, a, why not a different death? The answer is simple, because we needed a sign to find him. And so God gave us the cross, a universal symbol of Jesus and a universal symbol of the Christian faith. The angel said, if you want to find Jesus, the Savior, go to the manger. But now we say, if you want to find Jesus, the Savior, just go to the cross. That's why the songwriter who wrote the old hymn, At the Cross, At the Cross, is where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there at the cross by faith. I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Go to the cross and it'll change your life. When you go to the cross and encounter Jesus, he will do for you what he did for the shepherds. He will see your faith. He will lavish you with his grace and his mercy. He will cleanse you of all your sins. And he will transform you into a child of God. And when it happens, you won't be quiet, but you will tell everybody you know what he has done for you. And you'll stir up the people you're around, and some of them will not like it, and some of them will give you a hard time, just ignore them, but others will be intrigued or be inspired as they look at what God has done in your life, and they might even be motivated to give their lives to Jesus too. And then you'll come to church, and it won't take three songs or a certain genre to get you to worship or praise. But just because you walked in the building with Jesus in your heart, you'll come in, and as soon as they begin, you'll throw your hands up, and you'll praise and you'll worship him just for the fact that the living Savior resides in your heart and in your life every day. I want you to stand with me. Just go to the cross. If you want to find Jesus, just go to the cross. So I want to ask you a question this morning. I know we have high praises people, and I know there are family members that are here, and they'll be in the second service. I met a wonderful couple that's here just visiting today for the first time. I hope they'll come back. They seem like neat people, like good people. So we have a variety here today. I don't, I can look at you on the outside, but I sure can't look in your heart, but God can. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart. So, have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Or do you need to find Him? Because He's looking for you right now. How do I find him, Pastor? Oh, he's here. But if you want to find him as your Savior, you're going to have to go to the cross. Not, not the literal cross, of course. We're not, going to, we're not going to charter a plane and fly to Israel. That cross is gone, rotted, deteriorated. No, it, it'll have to be a spiritual cross because the work that he did, the cross may be gone, but the work that he did is still alive and well, still exists. He's still saving lives today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.